normally send our little ones down the hall for their lesson, but this morning they're in here with us on the third Sunday of the month, um, as is our routine for the sermon. Um, if you're a guest with us, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer, and we're glad you're with us. When you came in, there should have been a guest card uh, somewhere around where you're seated. Um, if you are a guest and would like some information about our church, all you got to do is fill out your information on one side of that card, and there's a box at the kiosk in the back of the room. If you drop it there on your way out, we'll send you a welcome email and get you some information to answer any questions you may have about Redeemer. Um, you can also access that same form on our website, and so you can find it there as well and submit it electronically. Uh, the back side of that uh, card is a place for prayer requests. If there are things we can pray with you or for you about, it would be our honor to do that. Uh, you can also submit those prayer requests online as well. Uh, but <clears throat> I want to invite you uh, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 to 16 together this morning. It's a text from which our sermon will come today. As we continue in this series entitled Core, looking at our core values, how to strengthen those as a church, uh, because a strong core is necessary for uh, stability in life and physically for our bodies, but also spiritually for our souls. And so we're working through our core values uh, over the last three weeks and then the next three weeks ahead of us as well. Um, and this morning we'll be looking at the core value of plural, plurality of leadership. Uh, that God has gifted the local church with. And so Ephesians chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1, read down through verse 16 together. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried along by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's Word. You know, the church, just like every other organization on the face of the earth, oftentimes rises and falls on the basis of leadership. Uh, leadership is vital and important. If you at work in a company, you recognize that your company oftentimes, the culture of that company is dictated by those who are in leadership. You recognize that there's something at stake when it comes to elections because national leadership has implications in the life of, uh, of a community or of a people. And the same is true within the context of church. A part of a strong spiritual core in a church is a commitment to a plurality of leaders who see themselves as servants of the church. Servants of the church. See, the way our leadership structure is here at Redeemer is organized around what we call two biblical offices, which are deacon and elder. A deacon and elder. Elders are shepherds who lead, feed, protect, and guide the church through teaching, through counseling, through setting direction and vision, helping the church to move forward, progress, and grow. Deacons are servants who carry out the practical aspects of ministry in the church through organizing and through facilitating and through administrating events and ministries. 
Now, this is not to say that deacons never teach, because some do. This is not to say that some elders don't organize and administrate, because we do as well. But rather, it's to say, broadly speaking, right, that our elders are those who declare the words of God, and our deacons are those who organize the works of God. If you think of it broadly speaking, that's the distinction between those two offices in the Scripture. Elders declaring the Word of God, deacons organizing and facilitating the works of God as those things are carried out in ministries in the context of a church. In our text this morning, in Ephesians chapter 4, I think we find at least one observation and then several reasons why a plurality of leaders is important and vital in the context of a local church so that its core can be strong, so that it can be stable and able to endure whatever the enemy may throw at it. And so I want to give us that observation and several reasons why here from the text and draw out a few applications and then we'll be done. First of all, I want to give you the observation, and that's this, that God has given a plurality of leaders to the local church. He's given that as a gift. In verse 11, we see that God has given a number of gifted individuals to the church. All right, so uh, Paul, uh, Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4 is thinking about Christ descending into the depths of the earth, Christ ascending into the heights of heaven, and as he ascends into the heights of heaven, it says that he distributes gifts to men. And then he goes forward from that to say that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some of your translations say pastors, some to be teachers. So God gives a plurality of different types of leaders to a local church. He gives the apostles. The apostles were those who were appointed by Jesus who had been with him during his earthly ministry. They'd walked with Jesus, eaten with Jesus, talked with Jesus, heard Jesus firsthand as he taught from the boat or on the mount. These were people who had seen the resurrected Christ and as he appeared to them in the upper room or on the road to Damascus in the case of the apostle Paul. But they were given to the church in its infancy in order to ground it in the gospel that they had heard from Jesus, the teachings they had received from Jesus. Now, these apostles that God had gifted to the church, we might say they're capital A apostles, and that office doesn't exist any longer because I didn't see Jesus resurrected physically. I didn't eat with Jesus in a campfire there by the lake. I didn't, right, travel with Jesus. But there are some folks that God equips to do similar works as the apostles in the sense that they're pioneering new work in new areas, starting new churches, going into new mission fields, or perhaps even having influence over a network of churches as they bring them together for common causes and purposes. You have the prophets. The prophets were those who received information from God that they could not have known otherwise and communicated it to others. It's not like they read your biography or autobiography and go, I know everything about you, so let me speak into that. God impresses them with something, they share it, and it finds resonance in the life of others as it's tested in accordance with the Scriptures. You have the evangelists, those who were literally the good newsers. Okay, That's what they were. These were folks who powerfully and persuasively proclaimed the good news of God's work in the world to save sinners through the sending of His Son. Right? And they saw people coming to faith in Christ as they shared the good news of Christ's life and death and resurrection. You had the shepherds or the pastors. These were those who cared for and counseled the church. They guided and protected the church. They walked alongside of them in difficult seasons and situations to bring comfort and conciliation to those who were hurting. You had the teachers who were gifted by God to open the scriptures and to teach them in ways that made the meaning of scripture clear and plain and that people knew what to do with what they had heard from them. So you got these five types of gifted individuals that, that God gives to the church. And one of the things that we need to recognize from that observation is this. The fact that there is not one type of gifted person who is enough for the, all the ministries of the church. If the apostles were enough, God would not have had to give them the prophets. If the prophets were enough, they wouldn't have had a need for teachers. If the teachers were enough, there would have been no need for evangelists. And if the evangelists were enough, there would have been no need for shepherds. 
But God gives all of these types of gifted individuals to the church. Because the apostles, no matter, no matter uh, the fact that they had walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus and listened to Jesus, they were not enough. No matter how clear a teacher could expound and explain the scriptures, they were not enough. No matter how, how gentle and at times firm a pastor could be in their correction and comfort and counsel, they were not enough. And one of the things that means for us as a church today is this. It means there's not any one individual or any one type of individual in this congregation who is enough to bear the weight of all the ministries that God would have us do. It means I'm not enough. And believe me, I am more painfully aware of that than any of you in this room. Okay? I'm, our, our elders in and of themselves, they're not enough. Our deacons in and of themselves, they're not enough. Our staff in and of themselves, they are not enough. But God has brought a collection of gifted individuals into the life of this body to see ministry built and flourish in the context of this community at this time. God gives, gifts the church with a plurality of leaders because any one is not enough in and of themselves. And as he does, listen, church, there's three things that happen, I believe Paul tells us in this text. As, as, as a church, a healthy church gets a grasp on what this plurality principle looks like in leadership, there are three things that spill out of that. And the first one is this, is that those leaders, they multiply ministry. They multiply ministry. In verse 12, we're told that the purpose for which God has given gifted people to the church is not so that ministry may be monopolized by one gifted individual, but so that it may be multiplied and shared among the members of the congregation. As every Christian has been equipped for service, in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us, not to that guy, or that gal, but to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when Christ is dispensing gifts upon his ascension into heaven, right, he's doling out grace to every single one of us, gifting all of us with some type of gift that ought to be used in service of the body. So that whenever he says he gave the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the shepherds and the evangelists, he doesn't say he gave them to the church so they could do all the work of the ministry. That's not what my Bible says. But he says he gave them to the church so they might equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So these gifted individuals, right, they are there for the explicit purpose of raising up and launching out other ministers in the context of a local congregation who are utilizing those gifts that Christ dispensed to them for the sake of the body. That's why those gifted individuals are given. So that means the reason you have a role or a position or a title right, is not for you to be held up on a platform but rather so that others can learn to do that same job, learn from you as you equip them to do what you are doing so they can do that here as work is shared, ministry is multiplied, or elsewhere as God sends them out someplace else to serve as a part of His kingdom. This means that if you're leading something in this church, the goal should not be to hoard it for yourself, but the goal should be to help others be raised up to be able to do it alongside of you. And this is one aspect of what we might call servant leadership. Servant leadership. Listen, when you're a servant leader, you don't see the people that you lead as a crowd that you gather so that you can demonstrate your gifting. So that you can put it on display for everyone else to ooh and awe at. But rather you see the people that you're leading as those individuals that you're serving with your gift. Not entertaining with your gift, but serving with your gift. So that they might be raised up to be able to employ their gifts as they're released to do the same. And this commitment to service and leadership is so central to a strong spiritual core that Jesus says leaders in his kingdom must have a commitment to leading, not lording. Right? In two places, in both Matthew and Mark's gospel, 
Jesus speaks of this very dynamic, right? Because there's basically, there's two broad, like, leadership structures you might try to conceive of in your mind, of ways that leadership works, right? The first type of leadership structure I would call a top-down leadership structure. In both Matthew and Mark's gospel accounts, Jesus is recorded as drawing a contrast between the way the Gentile leaders exercise their authority by lording it over those who are underneath them. Lording it is that top-down type leadership structure. When you think of a top-down leadership structure, a good visual is to think of a pyramid with the point rising up to the heavens, okay? Right, that pyramid with a point headed up where the leader's at the top and everyone else is beneath them. Right, the leader's at the top and everyone else is in line underneath them to serve their agenda, their goals, their purposes, that's a top-down type of leadership structure. Some of you are smiling right now because you've experienced that before. But top-down leadership structures are places where people are pawns on the chessboard of the organization. They exist to help accomplish the agendas and the goals. They're like interchangeable pieces of a machine. So you can pull one out, plug another one in, and just keep running. And as a result, top-down leaders, listen... A few ways you can recognize this is that they, they create an echo chamber. You know what an echo chamber is? It's where the only voice that is heard in the room is theirs, even if someone else is speaking, because they're parroting back what the leader has said because they know that the leader doesn't like diverse opinions. A top-down leader dictates, but they don't develop. Right? They just bark out orders, but they don't invest in people to raise them up. A top-down leader makes demands. A top-down leader thinks only short-term. What can I accomplish in the next three to six months with these people? And if we have to change them out to get to the next level, then we'll do so. And a top-down leader, listen, they only help with issues that relate to the agenda. So they're not concerned about the lives of the individuals they're leading. They're only concerned with how that person can help them get where they want to go. That's a top-down leadership structure. Now listen, Jesus, he does not reject the notion that there are positions of leadership. He doesn't reject that notion. Rather, what he says, whenever he says, it shall not be so among you, in both Matthew and Mark's gospel, he's saying that leaders in his kingdom must learn the difference between leading and lording. There's a difference. Leading in the kingdom is a bottom-up type of leadership structure. It's a bottom-up, right? Where the position of leadership is being exercised or leveraged to serve others, not to have others serve them. In bottom-up leadership, the higher you rise in position, the lower you sink in service because the more people you have above you to serve, if you take that pyramid and you invert it, that's a bottom-up leadership structure, Right? Where now as I rise higher in leadership, I sink lower in service and I've got more and more and more people to equip and more and more and more people to, uh, to mobilize and more and more people to invest in and more and more people to serve. That's what bottom-up leadership looks like. A bottom-up leader values diverse opinions. They develop and deploy other leaders. They encourage by their words and presence. They don't just bark out orders and send people on their way. They think long-term. What, what mountains can we take in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Because we're developing the types of people who are going to be able to help us move that direction. And a bottom-up leader helps with issues outside of the agenda. They roll up their sleeves and they get involved in life. There's a big difference between those two types of leadership structures. And the reason I said at the very outset of what you may consider to be a circuitous diatribe, okay? The reason I said at the very outset of that is that the commitment to service is so central to have a, having a strong spiritual core that leaders in his kingdom must have a commitment to leading and not lording. Is, this is the reason. Because in a top-down leadership organization, ministry is monopolized. It is not multiplied. In a bottom-up church, ministry is not monopolized. It is multiplied. 
So God's given all these different types of gifted individuals to the church to multiply ministry, not so they can sit in seats of authority and render judgments and have everyone else go and do their bidding like all their little minions running around. Right? They're not grew, contrary to popular belief. Right? But rather, they are servants who see that the higher the position they hold, the greater responsibility they have to serve. Those that they are under. And help deploy them and multiply them in ministry. So the question is, if you are leading in this church in a role, a position, the question is, who are you equipping for service? Who are you investing in and raising up so they can, they can do what you're doing here or elsewhere? Not only do leaders multiply ministry, but the second thing that happens is this, is that as leaders multiply ministry, members reach maturity. Look at the language Paul uses in verses 12 to 16. It's riddled with images of maturation and growth. In verse 12 we read, for the building up of the body of Christ. In verse 13, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. In verse 16, He makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God desires, church, that we would grow so that, verse 14, we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave and deceitful scheme. Now listen, Jesus says some positive things about children in the Gospels, about having faith like a child. But Paul here is saying there are probably there are some things that we ought not model mature Christianity after that exist in children. So I thought about a few of those this week. Right? Children oftentimes uh, tend to be takers, not givers. Right? They, re- they receive a whole lot of energy and attention and resources and finances, right? They eat up a lot of bandwidth. But as they grow, you try to train them, right, to be contributors and not just consumers. And a part of being a spiritual infant, right, one of the ways you can recognize a spiritual infant oftentimes is because they are more of a ministry than they are a minister. Okay? They require more of your time and more of your energy and more of your effort. And you get very little return out of that. And a part of growing up means that you become less of a ministry and more of a minister as you mature in Christ and grow up into Him who is the head of the body. Children also, they like discernment. Right? This is why we baby-proof our homes. Okay? Because children cannot distinguish, an infant crawling around the floor can't distinguish between a cupcake and a dishwasher tablet. All right, they're both bright and colorful. All right, one of them will give them a sugar high. The other one will send them to the hospital to have their stomach pumped. Okay, because they lack discernment. And Paul says the same thing about a spiritual infancy. That they could be tossed to and fro. This sounds good because this person is saying it. And this sounds good because this person is saying it. So they're just bouncing back and forth between all these winds and waves of doctrine. And Paul says that deceitful schemes, craftiness, and human cunning, they lack discernment. Children are also deeply self-centered. Right? You don't believe me? Just ask the parent of a newborn. Okay? Right? Ask the parent of a newborn, because that newborn, as they lay in the bassinet next to their parent's bed in the evening, as the parent's trying to go to sleep, and maybe they do doze off for a few hours, that infant who's laying in the crib there is not self-aware enough to look over the edge of the bassinet and look at the mother and father sleeping in the bed and think to themselves, those poor people. They, are so t- they look so tired. They look so drained. I don't know why. But they appear to be zombies. So I will allow them in my gratuitous benevolence to sleep for another several hours before I awaken them with a pierced shriel and cry because I'm hungry or because I'm dirty. It's not what infants do. As soon as they feel a rumble in their stomach, what do they do? They let out the most ear-piercing and soul-wrenching cry you can imagine. Right? 
Because they're, they're, all they can think about is their needs in that moment. And listen, spiritual infants are very much the same. Spiritual immaturity is very much the same. A part of growing up into Christ, who is the head, is to consider the needs of others and think about yourself less and think about others more. That's a part of maturation. Children also don't like to be held accountable. Okay? I don't know if you've seen that. They don't like to be held accountable. So what they end up doing is they end up shifting blame, right? And, and so the, the, you, you challenge them on something they've done. They say, well, I wouldn't have done that if this person hadn't done this, right? And so there's this cascade of effects, this waterfall, right? They end up blame shifting or deflecting, at times erupting emotionally, because oftentimes those who are immature, they go into a conversation, right, with bullet in the chamber, with a hammer cocked and a finger on the trigger, just ready to erupt and weaponize their words, right? You may have experienced that with your own children and their immaturity, and you may have experienced with others who are spiritually immature even though they're adults, right? I've done that, and I've wounded others. But Paul says, if, le- if a church would recognize given to equip the saints so they're multiplying ministry, imagine a church where people are being cared for, they're being counseled, they're being comforted, they're being taught. They understand what to do with that as they go forth, right? They're, 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 they're being challenged by others who have insight into their lives and the realities of their lives. They're... they're, they're um, There are others who are winning people to Christ, others who are launching new ministries in a church that sees that plurality of leaders and ministries being mobilized, then in each of those ways, those gifted individuals are contributing to the maturation of the church. So people are moving from self-centered to thinking about others more and less about themselves and their needs. People are moving toward wanting to be accountable to others because they see the value of it. They're not blame shifting, but taking responsibility for themselves, for their actions, for their words. They're growing in discernment as they learn to distinguish truth from error, and they become individuals who are giving themselves and of themselves, not just taking. As ministry is multiplied, members mature into the fullness of the stature of Him who is the head, Christ. Third, the church enjoys Unity. The church enjoys unity. In verses 1 to 6, just before he speaks of each being given a measure of grace as a gift from God, and just before he speaks of the gifted leaders being given to the church for her maturity and ministry, Paul speaks of the unity of the church. I want to read verses 1 to 6 to you one more time. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you hear all the alls in there? And did you hear all the ones in there? And did you hear Paul's appeal to maintaining unity in there? As the church recognizes a plurality of leaders that are multiplying ministry, members are maturing The church is held together in unity. When the church's needs are met, there is a spirit. The the unity of the spirit is maintained in the bond of peace. They're growing in discernment. They're growing in other-centeredness. They're growing in accountability. They're growing in responsibility. They're growing in contribution. Giving And it's like a glue that holds the church together. So the church enjoys unity. Members move toward maturity. Leaders multiply ministry because God's given this plurality of gifted individuals to serve 
the church. Not to keep the church under their thumb, but to serve the church. So what do we do with all of this? Let me give you three points of application this morning. And the first one is this. To encourage those who are equipping you. Encourage those who are equipping you. Now, at first blush, this may sound incredibly self-serving. Right? But I say it in order to serve you. And here's why. I've said it before and I'll say it again. All right, the Lord may call my family to another church in another city or another country in two years. And there'll be another pastor here. Or, the Lord may give me grace to pastor here for 25 or 30 more years. And I step out of the pastorate. And somebody else comes in. And those of you who are younger than me, you may still be here as a member of this church. But either way, or I get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? And you all attend my funeral next week. But in any of those three scenarios, there will be another pastor of this church so long as this church continues into the future. And so a part of me saying this is to serve him in the future. And to serve our elders. And to serve our deacons. And to serve our staff. And to serve those who are leading your life groups. And to serve those who are directing our ministries. And to serve those who are a part of this plurality of leaders that God has put in place to help us mature and mobilize in ministry. But encourage those who equip you. Those who are teaching. Those who are leading. Those who are organizing. Those who are greeting. Those who are behind the scenes, running sound, making videos. Right? Dealing with tech stuff. Encourage those who are organizing events. Those who are caring for you in your need. Those who are facilitating ministry in our context. If you've been matured or mobilized because of the ministry of a gifted person in this church or in your life, encourage them. And I want to take a moment to do that very thing this morning. For the last six years, our church has been served by two men who have been a part of our team of elders, Steve Welch and Stanley John. I want to invite those two men to join me up here at this time. As they make their way forward, I, I, I wrote some things down so I wouldn't just ramble, okay? Um, because it's, it's easy to ramble about six years of stuff, right? But both of these men have served our church faithfully over their tenure as elders. And today they'll be rotating off of our elder team. I've labored in prayer with both of these men for the members of our church, for you for the health and direction of our church, for the needs in their lives, the lives of their families, and needs in my life. I've confessed sin to each of these men and sought their counsel personally and pastorally and professionally. We've wrestled like brothers over issues of doctrine and practice in the life of our church about how God would have us go forward. I've had to apologize to both of these men at various junctures And they graciously extended their forgiveness because I may have spoken, overstepped my bounds in the words that I spoke or spoken words that wounded them. I've seen them personally minister to members of our congregation as they've connected with them individually and guests who've walked through our doors. I've benefited from their wisdom and insight as we discussed issues facing the church and our growth and our health and our development and also benefited from sitting under their teaching. At times, they slowed me down when I was wanting to run a little too fast, and at times, they sped me up when I was wanting to drag my feet, and all of that for the health and the welfare of the church. And I will say this this morning, that we are better because of them. So would you join me in giving thanks to them? They both served our church during a time in which, quite honestly, we didn't even know if we were going to be open in three months or six months or 12 months and navigated some very hairy conversations about what that might look like and what would be needed if we were to be open still. Steve served faithfully through his second bout of colon cancer and continued to be faithful in prayer and continued to be faithful in presence. Stanley was a part of the now infamous meeting in the fall of 2016 whenever I hit the wall hard and began to weep in an elders meeting. And I'm sure he thought in his mind, what have I gotten myself into with these people, right? 
but both of them have served so faithfully, so sacrificially, and so generously that we could not just let them rotate off without recognizing them this morning. And so, gentlemen, our church, as a church, we would like to give you a gift to recognize your years of service here uh, with us. Um, And I'd like to thank Becca Randolph for helping to pull these things together. She is much more creative than I, right? If it were me, you'd have gotten a piece of paper. Um, But she created these had these wood-burned plaques created for you guys. It says, thank you for your faithful service to Redeemer Church. This one's for Steve, Steve Welch, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, the qualifications of elders, 2016 to 2022. And here's a little gift as well from the rest of the church family to you, brother. Thank you for your service. And here's a, here's a stand. You can set that thing on. Somewhere, Stanley, same for you, brother. Thank you for your years of service. Yours says the same thing, except with a different name, right? So I won't read it again to the congregation, but thank you, brother. So we want to encourage those who are equipping us. But second of all, we, want to, we need to establish new leaders as, it, as time calls for it. Right, and we're going to do that this morning as well. Last fall, we took nominations for new elders as Stephen Stanley's terms were coming to a close. And members of our church nominated three men. They nominated Keith West, Craig Cooper, and Stephen Tomacelli. And they've been meeting with our existing elders since January. And last week, each of them received um, more than the requisite 85% of the church's vote to be affirmed as elders. And so I want to invite each of them this morning to come forward and stand here before you as well. At the front. And so this morning we will install them as elders in the life of our congregation by laying hands on them and praying over them, praying for their ministry among us. So I want to invite members of our church, those of you who know these men, love these men, to come forward. We're going to lay hands on them, pray over them uh, as they are installed as elders in the life of our congregation. As you come forward, I'll share just a few things with you that I would love for you to pray for them. I'm sure they would love these things as well. We want to pray that they would have a disposition to trust the Lord and to walk with Him and to point others to Him in their ministry. Pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit to fit them for the task that is before them. We want to pray for their marriages and their spouses that the Lord would protect them from the evil one. We want to pray for wisdom and insight for them as they lean into discussions about the current health of our church and future growth of our church. We want to pray for their teaching and their counsel among us, whether that be from the pulpit, whether that be in a classroom or in a living room. We want to pray that they would find joy in their service and that the church would be blessed through their leadership. And so I want to invite you to pray for them this morning. I'm going to give you some space to pray over them as we pray, install them as elders, and then I'll close that time, and then I've got one more point of application for us. Let's pray. Thank you. 
Father, we do want to lift these men to you and their families. Father, I do pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit uh, to equip them for the work, anoint them for this work of shepherding and leading and, and guiding and tending to this, the care of this congregation. Father, as a pastor among us, God, may they be able to do that with joy. And Father, may the members of this church make it a joy for them. Uh, Father, I pray you protect their families. Uh, Father, we know that the, the, our enemy uh, seeks to undermine and attack in so many ways. Um, I pray that their marriages would remain strong. I pray that their uh, walk with you would remain intimate and sweet. God, I pray that they would lean on you, trust in you, depend on you. Not just on what seems to be the most common sense thing to do, God, but what it, what it is that you're leading them to do and leading us to do as a church, that we would seek you in prayer for that. And Father, that you would answer. Father, I pray that as they uh, teach in various contexts, as they shepherd and guide in various contexts, I pray you give them wisdom in those moments. I pray that our church would be encouraged by the words they have to share, challenged by the words they have to share, matured by the words that they have to share, and that they would be encouraged by the words they have to share as well. May you raise up men and women in this church who would encourage them uh, as they walk this road of leadership. We pray that... Um, it would be a time in which our church would flourish um, under their guidance. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you guys make your ways back to your seats there, I, I've got just one more um, point of application for us this morning, and then we'll be done. So we want to encourage those who equip us. We want to establish new leaders. But listen, the final thing that I would say uh, from this text is this, is that we ought not exalt servants into celebrities. We ought not exalt servants into celebrities. The popularization of the internet in the 1990s created a modern manifestation of what was indeed an ancient problem, celebrity pastors. Um, in Paul's day, it was prevalent. In our day, it is as well, perhaps even more so, um, because today you can tune on to a church's website and find uh, a ministry of a, of a preacher who lives five states away that 50 years ago you wouldn't have even known existed, okay? Um, but however, in Paul's day, it still was prevalent. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to chastise the church at Corinth because some of them are saying, well, I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos, thank you, brother, or I follow Paul, right? In other words, I'm on their team, I'm on their team, I'm on their team. And there is a risk in churches when you have a plurality of leaders that some would attach themselves to one and their perspectives and they would want to say, well, it's, it's, no, this is where we ought to go and this is what we ought to do. And so it, it, it can create division, right? But that, that, that's why we need this word to re remember that we don't exalt servants into celebrities, while God uses gifted people, and He does, it's ultimately Jesus who is bringing about the maturity and growth in the life of the church that He desires to see in His bride and body. He's working through them, right? But He's the one working. In fact, we see this in verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4, where Paul says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And then there's some subordinate clauses. You grammarians in here are going to love this. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Who's making the body grow? The last person that was referenced in the context, which was Christ so that it builds itself up in love. While we serve, God gives growth. God brings maturity. God mobilizes people for ministry. That, and, and as a result, listen church, the leader never gets the glory. But who gets the glory? God does. Christ does. The Holy Spirit receives the glory. And here's why. It's a principle. You can find it in 1 Corinthians well. It's this. It's that the one who gives the growth gets the glory. The one who gives the growth gets the glory. 
Not the one it's coming through, but the one it's coming from receives the glory. So Jesus gets the glory, church. The head. The one into whose stature we're seeking to be raised up into. And you know what? He led in the same way that he admonishes his disciples to lead. You know why? Because the as high as he was in position, he sank low in service to serve everyone. Everyone. He put everyone underneath him on his shoulders whenever he went to the cross and gave his life. And this morning as we close the service, we're going to remember that time. Remember how Jesus was indeed the quintessential, right, bottom-up leader. He didn't see his position as a place of privilege, but as one of service. That he took the towel and the basin and he washed the feet of his followers. He equipped them and mobilized them to serve in ministry. Them being with him brought them to places and positions of maturity that they had not experienced previously. And then he gave his life for them. So in a moment, I'm going to invite the band back up here to lead us in a song of response as we take the Lord's table together. And as we do, if you're not a Christian in the room this morning, we invite you just to stay seated where you are. This meal is meant for those who have crossed the line of faith, placed their confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, repented of sin, and been born again, come to faith in Christ. But we would invite you to keep coming to Redeemer. Because we believe that as you come, you're going to keep hearing the gospel preached. And as you do, our hope would be that one day that God would ignite a flame in your heart and cause you to be born again. And so we might be able to receive you at the table as well as you remember the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you've crossed the line of faith, repented of sin, placed your confidence in Him. Whether you're a member of this church or not, we invite you to come as we remember the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. I'm going to invite the band to come now. They're going to receive the elements as they get ready to come on stage. And I'm going to pray for us as we prepare for this time together this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, today we thank you for the work of your son. That that work is continuing in your church through gifted leaders that you've given. Gifted individuals that you've positioned. And Father, while there is dangers in plurality of leaders that might cause division, God, there is so much more health that comes as a result of it. May we benefit from the healthy side of a plurality of leadership and help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as one church, as one body, one head. So that we would not exalt servants into celebrities. That we would establish new leaders who would help us mature and help us mobilize and that the church would enjoy unity because of it and then may we encourage those who are equipping us. May it be said of this church that it is a joyful place to serve. We ask it in Christ's name. This morning we invite you to stand. The band's going to lead us in song as we respond to what the Lord has said through His Word, remembering the goodness of Jesus. And then we invite you to come to the table and receive the elements today.
Oh